Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Lily was born and raised in Italy, and she has been living in the U.S. and Canada for the past two decades. Thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you, Isabel. I'm so excited to get to know you. I'm so excited to have this conversation. It's an honor for me. I, I've been following you on Facebook and I try to listen to the other podcasts uh, when I have time. And I really like what you're doing. So, yeah, so I'm excited. Thank you so much. Thanks. That means the world to me. So, okay, Lily, let's start by, I just want to know what your journey has been from working with NGOs and mm -hmm. all the way up until what you're doing now. So I want to mm -hmm. hear the story. I started working with NGO when I finished my master in 2007, 2006. But at the same time, in 2006, I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And I, I was always tired. I always had stomach issue. They didn't know for 10 years what was going on with me. I had a surgery to, gall, to remove the gallbladder and so forth. So uh, even if I got my master in international, uh, in nonprofit management, and I wanted to work for like the UN or UNICEF or other, you know, big NGO. I ended up working for a small NGO for a short period of time. And then I decided to leave that mostly because of my health. And I went into coaching and got a certification to become an executive coach. And I still wanted to use that to work with managers in nonprofit organizations. So I did that when I was in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, so I had to change because of my health. And it was really difficult because that was my passion. I think that that's probably my greatest passion. I just, because the thing is, what caught my eye about the fact that you work with international NGOs in your 20s mm -hmm. and 30s was that you were supporting girls' education and women's rights around the world. Is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, that was the goal. What I did was I went and did some very small project in Tanzania. That was uh, 2014 and 2015. Uh, with this organization, we were going to visit women, I would say, in a very bad area of Moshi, which is where Kilimanjaro is. But like, anyway, it was a tourist town, but there's always bad areas, uh, even in those places. And uh, trying to get those girls to get out of there, some of them had drug problems, some of them had other emotional and physical issues. Yeah, so we were trying to help them get the medical attention that they needed. Mm -hmm. That was one thing I did. Other time, I just did research, like I went to Geneva, Switzerland, and I was with a small uh, foundation to, in that case, was to not necessarily focus just on girls, but on the youth and how the impact of violence on the media was on the youth. So that was more like research-based. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I did a few things. I went to Thailand after the tsunami in 2004 and did some reconstruction work. So I wasn't really necessarily working always with girls. I was working in research and I did some fundraising, always at a very, you know, grassroots level. But yeah, so then I stopped um, and I was sick most of the time. I mean, I wasn't even sick when I was 
in Tanzania or in Thailand or in other places, I was sick even before. And by sick, I mean, I had stomach problem. I had the non-diagnosed endometriosis. And that was an ordeal that went on for 10 years. And when I was in Italy, I grew up in Italy. And when I was in Italy, I already had problems uh, with, uh, I had my appendix removed. And I think at that time, they didn't realize I had endometriosis, but it was already there. They said I had a lot of adhesions. And then it took another 10 years to be diagnosed. Where were you in the world when you got diagnosed with endometriosis? I was in the US. I was finishing my master program. It was in 2006. And um, yeah, and it was a surprise because I was like, what's going on? I was like, oh, okay. Nobody ever thought that I had these. You know, they told me I had colitis, irritable bowel syndrome. They told me I was stressed. I'm like, okay. That's interesting because, I mean, I don't know. Do, do, do the... Um... The effects of colitis or irritable bowel syndrome are similar to endometriosis. I've heard endometriosis is very, very painful. I've never mm-hmm. experienced it myself, but that's what I've heard. I had, uh, well, that's a good question. I had headaches and nausea, like when I when I was having my period, and some of the symptoms were similar because I also had a stomach problem. I had inflammation. I'm still dealing with with some of those uh, digestive issues, but. Generally speaking, my health has improved later on. <laughs> and I, I was already eating very healthy. You know, I wasn't like drinking, smoking, and no, I was vegetarian. Like I was learning to do everything to kind of address the endometriosis before I knew what it was and after. So I always tried the holistic approach and the healthy lifestyle. You know, I was never sedentary. I was always pushing myself and, um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it was just it was just a heat and miss. Well, I, I guess I don't like I said, I don't know. But because I've heard several women who've had experience with endometriosis, mm-hmm. there are like different kind of like levels in the sense that some women yeah. experience some symptoms that other women don't. Mm-hmm. Did you get surgery in your case? Yeah, so I had, uh, when they discovered, I had between level three and four. And the reason why they discovered is because I had a cyst on my ovary mm-hmm. that, I, you know, sometimes you have cysts that are like, oh, okay, it will disappear. Well, in that case, they said it was a complex cyst and, it, and they suggested removal. And because of that, they found out that endometriosis. And I probably had a lot of cysts before um, that just, uh, I remember one time I was, I, I passed out because of the pain. Oh my God. I was living with a family at that time. It was my first year at the university. So this was 2000. So it was 2000. So six years before they diagnosed me. They take me to my, my roommate, took me to the, the emergency room. I passed out and they were like, oh, something is messed up with your intestine. I mean, they, they didn't figure it out even at that time. I, was, I, mm-hmm. think it was a, I think it was a cyst. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I think it was a cyst that maybe burst. So, yeah, so once they went in and removed the cyst, they said, oh, there's endometriosis between level three and four. And from that point on, they recommended uh, something called Zoladex, which is something that's supposed to stop your period. And uh, like for me, it wasn't a big deal. It was just the nausea and the headache and the cramps. Yeah, depending on the situation, like the one time that I had a cyst that burst, Obviously, I had crimes. I keep saying I could have had 10 kids. I could have been like, <laughs> just because of the nausea I went through, which is which is gets you on your knees. I mean, it was so debilitating. I was like, I could have had 10 kids <laughs> just because of that. Um, yeah. So anyway, I don't want to talk about my health all the time. Like, I talk about something else. But yeah. 
Yeah, no, but I mean, I just wanted to use it as a segue to talk mm -hmm. about, you know, your desire to have children because mm -hmm. yeah. you wanted to have, you wanted to be a mom. Yeah, so and I, I love to talk about this because uh, for me, it's uh, it's like uh, getting to the bright, uh, bright light. So yeah, so basically what happened was this. When I was, I'll go back when I was a teenager, when I was, yeah, let's say a teenager, I had this super passionate idea of, like I said, working in development. I wanted to be like Mother Teresa, but I didn't <laughs> want to be a nun. You know, I wanted, be, I wanted to be like Mother Teresa, but I wanted to, you know, still have a family. And then I went to school and I did social work. I studied and then I did my master in nonprofit management. You know, all my passion was going towards the ultimate goal. Then I also met a church. Uh, I grew up a Christian. I was Catholic. But then I, I met another church. That church was extremely focused on the importance of being a mom and a, a wife and a mother. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I finished my master program, I was conditioned that it was extremely important uh, for me to be married. You know, I was, um, I'm in my mid forties now, late forties almost. And I was 33, 30 something when um, I was diagnosed. But the issue for me was like, I was thinking, oh my gosh, um, will I have kids? I mean, I wasn't married, so I wasn't trying, but I think I was preoccupied to meet the expectation of the environment that I was in. Like I wasn't really true to myself. I was trying to be like everybody else. Basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was the issue. And so you got diagnosed and the doctors, did they tell you that you were never going to be able to conceive? No, they didn't say that. So basically they said, uh, no, they put some fear in me. They said, um, oh, you should really go on hormone replacement therapy if you still want to have kids because it would be hard to have kids. And I thought, well, okay. Like I normally, I didn't even go on the birth control before uh, because I wasn't really sexually active. I mean, I wasn't there that wasn't sexually active. I was, uh, maybe I should have been. I mean, I was, uh, as a member of that church, I mean, all jokes apart, um, you are celibate, I guess. Yes. You're trying to not have intimate relationship until you get married. So I was kind of like thinking, I mean, I, I was dating and so on and so forth, but I was like, yeah, okay, when I get married. Well, by the time you're 30 or 33 and you're not married, then they put these idea that okay you need to do something in order to try to still have kids so i did the hormone replacement therapy which was um, a shot that they gave me in my tummy every month for six months i guess to stop my period and that didn't go i mean it it did stop my period but uh, after that i i had some other problems and then I had two more surgeries so the first surgery was in 2006 and then I had two more in 2009 and the last one, they took my uterus out because they, they said that there was adenomyosis, which is bleeding in the uterus. And it ended up that I had a polyp in the uterus. Wow. And that was not, it was not malignant. Like it wasn't cancer, but it was kind of like, oh my gosh, you're still in pain. You have this, because I was in pain all the time. I don't know what was going on. Meaning I had cramps all the time. And so yeah. once that, that was done, I did feel better. I mean, after recuperating for the surgery, it took a while, you know, like a month maybe to, to really get back on my, on my feet. Uh, however, emotionally, I was, de like, I was devastated. I was thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, you know, God must not love me. I mean, I, I just thought I was a bad person. 
you thought you were a bad person because you had a hysterectomy? Yeah, I mean, no, because I didn't have the opportunity to have kids. And because I lived in a community where everything was about kids. You know, you would go to church and they talk about getting married and having children. So there was starting to be that cognitive dissonance, you know, like you feel, oh, there's me and then there's them and <laughs> we don't really match. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was tough. It was, I mean, now I joke about it, but it was, it was tough. Wow. It was tough. And so you, you know, I, the, we had this very brief conversation before, before we started recording. And mm -hmm. I asked you, um, because we were talking about women who are childless, yeah. uh, who yeah, decide to, who decide to adopt. Did you go down that path? I did uh, a little bit later. So what happened was I was, I was single at that time and I couldn't adopt as a single person because I was, uh, where was I at that time? I traveled a lot. So that was, not, that was not a good thing if you want to adopt. So basically I couldn't adopt because I was always doing something else. Like I wasn't take, I was taking care of my dad and then I moved to Canada and in Canada, you can adopt as a single person, but you have to be a Canadian citizen. And I wasn't, uh, I met my my ex-partner in 2010, 2011, and he was, he had a, a child from another relationship who was not living with him. He was living with his mom, but uh, we thought about adoption. And um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to get married and have the family, but he was dishonest. Like he was, yeah, definitely not the type of person I would want to create a family with. It took me a, it took me a while, it took me about one year to figure out what he was doing. So yeah, we talked about adoption. I even went to an information session and he didn't come. Like he, he said, oh yeah, yeah, I will do this. Like he wasn't understanding, first of all, the implication of adopting. Like they have to do the home study. They have to interview you. You have to be committed. And he was not. Like he was just like, oh yeah, sure. Um, so that was it. <laughs> Yeah. So, right. So you went to like an information session, you went through the process, but then your relationship, mm -hmm. did it end it and you were still in the process? Um, no, no, no. It ended independently. Like the two were not related, meaning uh, my relationship with him ended twice. The first time we were together, he ended because basically he was with me because he thought I had money. Okay. He, he was an immigrant from another country. I'm, I'm not going to go into the details, but he was, uh, he got married with a Canadian to get to Canada. And now he was trying to get, you know, somebody to support him financially, which I was not that type of person. And I pretty much cut up into uh, when he was starting to ask me for money and I refused. And so he wasn't happy about that. So I left him. And then a few years after I went back with him because he apologized and said, no, no, but that wasn't true. You know, you really, I, I'm not asking you for money. I have a good job now. And he did. He had a really, really good job, like better than me. <laughs> so he was making way more than I did, but he still asked me, like he, he still had this uh, concept that I was, uh, that I was rich and that I could give him whatever he wanted. So, uh, so that's why the relationship failed. Uh, it wasn't because of the adoption. Mm -hmm. Okay, first of all, yikes. <laughs> I don't ah, yeah. First of all, yikes. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh... He, he, was, he was very good looking though. Like, I, sorry. <laughs> I mean, there, are, there are some perks, I have to say. It wasn't, I mean, it was tough. It was tough and I learned a lot. I actually became much tougher as a person because yeah. of him. Yeah. But it was, it was a shock. It was, it, it was, yeah, it changed me. In, in, a, in a good way, yeah. 
Sorry. I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, this kind of things kind of make you resilient, right? You go through them once and then you're like, that's never happening to me again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you you uh, you stopped pursuing adoption. Was mm -hmm. this before or after you broke up with your ex-partner? Uh, it, uh, it was before because uh, he was basically not participating. Like, he was avoiding the appointments. Like, he didn't come with me to the appointments. He, he, I could tell that he was just like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But he wasn't interested. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Okay, and fast forward a few months or years, I would like to know when, when was it for you that the shift happened and you decided to just embrace mm -hmm. your life without a child? About three years ago, I was tired of being in the same, like I, I stopped going to that church in 2011, 2012, but I always stayed connected to the same community community, meaning all my friends were in that church. And they're wonderful people. They're wonderful people. But the conversation was, you know, uh, let's say I, I visit somebody around Christmas time and, and they have kids and then I'm the single person. And like there wasn't a way for me to relate. And I thought, okay, maybe I can do something different. And I remember one of my friends, she said, oh, you should join this travel group on Facebook, this women group. And I did that. And I started being exposed to people that did not want to have kids, to people that were maybe divorced, widowed, never married, or uh, they had um, uh, that travel in different places. They've been in the foreign services or they've done this and that. Like I could start relating myself to these women and it was incredible. Like for me, it was like, wow, okay, it's okay. Because my friends from college, bless their heart. I mean, they were great, but like one of my friends, she ended up having six, six children and she's wonderful. She, she, she still looks really young and gorgeous and she's great. And I have, I mean, I, I, I kept in touch with some of them, but because I moved, uh, I'm a very international person. I'm a very global person. And, and, you know, maybe there's pros and cons to that, but some of my friends from college, I kept in touch and some I didn't. And the one that I keep in touch are also the one that I mean, I never had a situation where somebody would say, oh, why don't you have kids? I mean, nobody, like, I don't know if they're scared of me or if it's my confidence, but I really never had any confrontation except for one time it was a job interview. And at that time I was feeling guilty about it. So I think that I sort of attracted that energy in a way. I don't think that every time, you know, that every, you know I don't want to sound like it's always a direct correlation, Uh, but I do believe in the law of attraction. And I think that when we feel happy about ourselves, when we feel like, okay, this is who I am, maybe the question doesn't come up. Or if it comes up, it'll be like, yeah, I couldn't have kids, you know, I had endometriosis and that's okay. That's, yeah. that's fine. So that's why for me, what, what started to change, it was that. It was also, um, I had a lot of therapy after the first time I, um, I broke up with my ex, but that was not because of the kids. It was because of the relationship because <laughs> he was draining. Like it was, a, it was really tough for me emotionally. So I guess what I want to really explain to those that are listening is the fact that even if I was child-free by chance, and I don't use the term child 
unless I really don't like that term because it feels already like in the terminology, childless, it means less. I'm like, I'm not less. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I no, no way. Um, so for me, child free by chance, it's a good, it's a good determination. But I also should say that I wasn't the type of person that grew up in a family where everything was about, you know, as a, as a girl, you want to become a wife and a mother. It's very important. No, my mom, she was a farmer and she was outside working with my dad in the farm. And my dad, my, sorry, not my dad, my grandma, she was the caretaker for me. I mean, my mom was very loving, but she was outside working too. She wasn't like the, the role model of, oh, let me teach you how to make tortellini or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, I mean, and, and sometimes I was just talking to my neighbor tonight and it's funny because when I, uh, they asked me, you know, I'm Italian, they were like, oh, I love Italy, I love the food. And then I just told her, she didn't ask me actually, I told her, oh yeah, me too, but I don't cook. <gasps> and she was looking at me like, what? You don't cook? I'm like, no. It's like, she thought that was, that was really like uh, an heresia, like uh, something like terrible. Like, yeah. no, I don't, I don't cook. Sorry. I just, I don't have, I don't, I don't cook. I don't have time. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I could go and take out maybe, but not cook. So. But it's very interesting because, you know, Italy is such a deeply Catholic Mm -hmm. yeah uh society Mm -hmm. and and the nation like the whole idea of the nuclear family in italy is Mm -hmm. so strong like it is for most latin american countries right so you see like Mm -hmm. people have big i mean in italy you know the idea that you have of course it's not it doesn't apply to everyone but just like Mm -hmm. the the idea of the italian family being huge because everyone has Mm -hmm. children and they have grandchildren and the la nonna and everyone's like Mm -hmm. eating with their grandmother and Mm -hmm. yeah this is this is what we've seen on movies right like yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) no mafia not in my family i come from the north (laughs) yeah Yeah, no that's the stereotype i have to tell you i grew up in the north uh, um my family was just like my mom, my dad. I didn't have any brothers and sisters. I had my grandpa. There were 10 of them. So I had lots of second wow. cousins. But the thing is, I never felt, you know, what the scenario that you're describing, which is, which is cute, you know, it's, it's lovely. Um, I didn't have that. I mean, I had my grandmother raised me, I had my mom, my dad, and some cousin. But my family was never the one that would, uh, at least on my dad's side, uh, because they were working all the time. On my mom's side, they did have like family coming over and like cousin. And and uh, I think I was super tiny. So I, I don't remember, like they would be killing the the cow or whatever they had, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they had this big dinner, like, thank God I was a child. So I was not eating that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so, but that was, that was no issue for me, for me, the issue and the Catholic church also was no issue. Uh, that's another stereotype. Like for me, I grew up Catholic. I went to church when I wanted. And I, 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 I used to say it was like the genie relationship where I was in high school. I would go to church when I wanted. Like my parents never told me, oh, you must go to mass. No, uh, but I would go to church to say, oh, uh, thank you, God. You know, can you help me get an A in that test? Thank you. Bye-bye. So it was like the genie. <laughs> you, know, you, got, you got like, how many wishes today? One, two wishes. Okay. Um, 
what really changed was becoming a member of the other church. It was the Mormon church. I love the Mormon church. It, I, I'm a person of faith, and I think that my faith brought me to, to, be, to have the strength to go through my health problems, um, to have the strength to cope alone, because many times, you know, as an expat, you are alone. And yes, you get the advantage of studying abroad, living abroad, uh, getting acquainted with a different country, different culture, different people. I loved my 10 years in the US, but there were times where I had, you know, I had the surgery and I didn't have a mom there to hold my hand. I did have other women that they were friends, but they were like mothers. So I think I always been very blessed in a way, despite the, the challenges. Um, but with the LDS church, the, the Mormon church, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they call it LDS, like Latter-day Saints, which has nothing to do with any drugs whatsoever. <laughs> um, <laughs> like people are like, what is LDS? I'm like, LDS. Um, so I loved my experience. I was in that church for about 15 years. Yeah, something like that. I got baptized when I was 25. It was the right time. I was looking for personal growth. I had some friends that were Mormon. I loved everything. Like they seemed like angelic, but that was what kind of fired back because it wasn't me. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny now because I feel like, oh yeah, I was the perfect member because I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't, like they don't drink coffee and tea. I didn't drink coffee. As an Italian, I don't drink coffee. I never liked it. So it was like, okay, check, 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 check. Um, I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't like, oh yeah, I, I miss sex. No, no, no. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So it was like, for me, it was, it was so easy to be a Mormon, a good Mormon girl and woman. But the problem is once I didn't get married when I was at the university because I was too, I was too focused on studying. I mean, I was dating them. Then it became this cognitive dissonance, I call it, you know, where you're like, you are one person, but your environment is like... Completely different. Completely different. And being a person that, I mean, I, I feel like I always been, uh, like, I always protect myself. Like, I always feel like I have my own self-esteem and I'm like, I don't feel bad. You know, you can't tell me I'm, I'm not this and this and that. So I'm like, oh, by the way, I am also this and this. <laughs> you know? So basically I felt like, Oh, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have brothers and sisters. I'm like, oh, wow. It looks really like weird. And once I realized that the world was not centered, I'm sorry to say, on that church, and I also didn't agree with some of the doctrines because they were more, I would say, not representing who I was. Um, so I felt like, why am I doing this? I mean, this is not really me. And I never really had certainty that it was the true church, so to speak. Like I love every religion. I, I mean, I respect every religion, but it was just not me. Um, so sorry, I did the monologue, but uh, I'll let you. I was like, okay, okay, I can go on forever. You know, I'm Italian. I can talk for until tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be like, excuse me. <laughs> That's interesting. Now I think I find it very interesting because mm-hmm. you know, coming from Catholicism and not like strict Catholicism, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but but then and then turning into Mormonism, which is mm-hmm. I understand it's quite a strict religion as well, and mm-hmm. not only everything that it. Ex, uh, expects from its community but also like the rights and everything that has to do with you know being part of, of that 
for me, I think that it's important. Sometimes the world misunderstands like, oh, Mormon, polygamy. I'm like, nope, not at all. That <laughs> happened That happened in history. Like historically, there were some times where the church had some polygamist practice. They stopped. Unfortunately, some people nowadays call themselves uh, fundamental uh, LDS, like fundamental Mormon. They are not members of the church. They would be kicked out completely because uh, that's not part of the doctrine. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, you marry one person and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very family oriented. I mean, it's, it's beautiful if you, if you, if you like that, if you, you know, if you have a, a husband and kids and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and, and what does the community think about the fact that you didn't continue pursuing, you know, the road mm-hmm. of, either adopting or fostering or just becoming a mother? Um, I would say I never had anyone on my friend ask me that. Like, I think probably some of them, they didn't even know because even when I was with my ex, I think I mentioned it once or twice, but it wasn't long enough to really become, you know, uh, something that you would say, oh yeah, we we started the, because we, we barely started the process. I mean, not really. Nobody ever, like I said, I never had any, oh, why don't you adopt or why this or why that? Um, They never asked me. Okay. And what other, so you must have a lot of, because of what you mentioned, you know, going on activities or doing trips with people Mm -hmm. that you found that were child-free. Do you have a lot Mm -hmm. of child-free friends? Uh, I started to, yeah, about two years ago. I I have right now uh, two very good child-free friends, uh, one here in Quebec City, and she she chose she chose to be child free. I remember when I met her, I was like in awe. I was like, "Wow, that's so refreshing!" Because I never heard that side of the story. And maybe that's why also I've been attracted to you, to uh, Lenora. I mean, I'm I'm not saying oh I'm going to be like you guys because it's it comes from a different root, you know. Like I, I can't say when I was younger I wanted to be child free. No, but. It's kind of like off and off. I talked to a couple of ladies uh, also recently that um, they mentioned, oh, it's kind of off and off. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm off and off. <laughs> um, half and yeah, half, meaning? Meaning they wanted to have kids, but they uh, weren't really sure. And then they didn't and life goes on. And so it's not like a clear definition of, yes, I chose to be child-free when I was like 15. I knew that I would never want to have kids or no, I'm child free by chance because we couldn't conceive or because uh, I had endometriosis or whatever other life uh, circumstances happen. So it's kind of like a little bit of both. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it makes sense. I can tell you who this, this, uh, if you want to interview them, if they're willing, but they... no, it totally makes sense. <laughs> like people, I think it's people that are like a bit, uh, ambivalent about having children yeah. so they're not really on the fence it's just like eh, if it happens good if it doesn't happen it's good and mm-hmm. it, they usually don't pursue it actively exactly and they feel like they're fine yeah. whichever way and there's I I know a few people like that so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I think I think that's very healthy in a way because it's not I, I don't know for me it seems healthy it's like yeah, you know, if I get married, I fall in love. If we try and we succeed, if we don't. Uh... So I think I consider myself maybe not half enough, but I just regain who I really was. So, you know, back to the, the, the two friends that are child-free. I think all, how do you call it? Like exposing myself to other group of people, to other group of women, 
to other realities than what I was used to for 15 years in the church, it helped me realize, okay, there's different life script. Like there's not a one, I, I, I think that was my catchphrase. Uh, life is not a one script fits all type of deal, if that makes sense. You know, it's not like, totally. okay, this is how you do it. You know, you get married, you get fits, you, you get a degree. First, you, know, you get a degree, you get a job, you get married, you have kids. So, so anyway, the lifespan is not a one way. And I really believe that. Like I, when I look back at my 45 years of my life, I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, I had difficulties. My Achilles heel is my health, but I always uh, been driven. I always pursue what I wanted to pursue. I understand some of the subconscious, I would say, uh, shortcomings, like, you know, like the things that we learn as children that might not be good programming that you have to, you want to change. Like some of my believe on, on certain things, like, you know, wanting to please other people and stuff like that. I was like, okay, I, I need to work on that because I used to be a huge pleaser, but that has nothing to do with kids. You know, it's just stuff to do with me. I was like, okay, it doesn't matter. You don't have to please everybody. That's true. To- <laughs> that is true. Lily, yeah. it's been such a pleasure to have you here, but before I do let you go, is there anything else you would like to add to your interview? Anything at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have a group of uh, child-free by choice and by chance women on Facebook. I just started that a month and a half ago. Um, it's called We Celebrate Us. And uh, if anybody listening wants to join, we're going to talk about things that help us uh, have gratitude, have purpose and passion in your life. So, I mean, we all go through losses. I've been through a lot of losses in my life. I've been through therapy for that. I've been through, I traveled <laughs> thinking that I would address my, my grief. Um, that only worked like 10%, I would say. Um, but yeah, so the group is to celebrate us, to support each other. I'm going to have, have some guest speaker. So uh, if anybody wants to join, the information will be in this interview. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to have a website. And I also call, uh, like I also do consultation and coaching for women that are child-free by chance, if they need support. Perfect. So Firecrackers, I'm going to leave you, as always, uh, the links in the description of this episode so you can check out Lily's Facebook group, um, her Instagram, and her website when it's ready. Um, Check out the description to make sure that it's updated because I know that you're working on your website right now, but Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have the link as soon as possible. Thank you so much. Um, no, thank you again for coming, Lily. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you, Isabel. Keep in touch. And sorry I talk too much. I'm Italian. I can go on. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.